following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. That is not the name of our new show. Oh, no. <laughs> Welcome to the True Wealth Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio with me. is Katie Shook. And it's got to be the best Tuesday you've had all week. I hope it's a better Tuesday than last week, though. Can I just say that? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if it is, but uh, we're further down the path, and I got to tell you that everywhere you look, it's going to be, you know, we were teasing about, is it the True Health radio show? Yeah, because the True that's Wealth the, and the True Health radio. Yeah, we're going to yeah. talk about the coronavirus and the markets all at the same time, and then we're going to have you check your pulse, right, or check your iWatch mm-hmm. or whatever you're uh, rocking these days to make sure, you know, yep. you're still breathing. Today is the silver lining day, Katie. Well, thank goodness for something. It's the silver lining day. I'm going to make the weirdest case to our listeners that maybe we just want to have this market go down. What? That doesn't sound right at all. I know. I didn't tell her I was going to do that because I really wanted that reaction on air. She's like, you're making something up. What? Well, and by the way, David, like, uses the most colorful, fun terminology which is used in our industry but in our office like there are fun little things that come out and it and it's nice it, it cracks me up a little bit because I've worked with you now for like six years but Heather is new to our t- firm right so sometimes you say things and I look to her to see like did she understand what that means and so every once in a while I have to pause and be like can you explain to her what that weird things so the what weird, did I do so <laughs> you've got an example don't you yes dead cat bounce oh is yeah. you're like what the heck it's is so a, gross too right? a dead cat bounce so he comes out the other day we do a morning stand-up meeting we talk about what's going on in the office what the team needs help with and how we can help one another right and it's to help boost up the team um and get the workload done we we, we work share we load share and david starts talking about a dead cat bounce and i'm like this is not going to go over well because and i know in heather's head she's going what the heck well, she's a dog person so she yeah, was okay she's with like, it i don't care if a cat no um <laughs> but you know again those are terms that our industry uses. by the way you know what? what there's two heathers in my life everybody needs to know if you've listened long enough you've heard so heather is in our heather office John, and then heather my wife. wife right, right. <laughs> so they're two Mock. different people <laughs> yeah so now we have the heathers Right. right, yeah. So we have, we have to say, like, is that like which? So, so no, that's that's work, Heather. Work so there's Heather. work, Heather, and home, Heather. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was work, saying, Heather, and you, wife, Heather. Is that better? Go. Let's work go. And work, wife. work, and there wife. There we Not go. Not the same person, right? So, um, yeah, but I. So yeah, so the dead cat bounce. (laughs) So can you explain to our listeners what a dead cat bounce is? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's gross. I get it. It's gross, but it's so it's a term in uh, the the, sometimes gets thrown around, and it was started. Golly, back in two thousand eight, somebody said something like that on air on CNBC. I think I don't even remember who the the person was that made the comment. But it's it's sort of stuck around now. And what it is is when you're when your markets are falling and then you have a rebound day where the market goes back up and everybody gets real excited like okay well maybe we're done with the markets falling and then the next day they just start falling again. And I kind of came out yesterday you know we had last week let's just we're not even going to sugarcoat this when you're losing 12% in one week <laughs> it's just 
just terribly ugly. By the way, ugly, every ugly. advisor is hiding under their desk at this point, right? Like they're trying not to answer the phone if yeah. they can. And I will be fully transparent with our listeners that I struggle with the same emotions from time to time. If you start watching financial news, they'll whip you into a frenzy and you'll believe it's the end of the world because what everybody talks about is worst case scenarios. But what they don't really do is they don't run sort of the probability analysis on, well, what is the likelihood of the worst case scenario? Because People are acting as if the worst case scenario is in the 90 plus percent probability. You know, if you look at uh, behaviors right now for some people, I was I was at Walmart last night. Now, don't judge me. Right. I, you I, live in Roseburg. Everybody shops at Walmart and Costco. Let's yeah. Just be not honest. only that, it's, you know, it's a, they, it's and a they're fine bargain. Hours. That's it. So, and so it was like 11 p.m. because that's when I can get to the store. Okay. So wait, wait. I have, I have two questions on this. A, mm -hmm. was it for cold medicine? No. Because usually if you're out in the middle of the night, it's because somebody's oh, sick and you're out of cold medicine. No, this one is hilarious. Smoke alarm batteries. I needed 9-volt oh, no, batteries. No. I totally give you that one. I understand yeah. 100%. You are not listening to that thing chirp all night. Oh, my. Oh, but I did the night before. And then we didn't have them. And I'm like, oh, this ain't going down okay. like that again. Second question. Were you in your pajamas? No. Okay. Cause, but know. I was in workout clothes. <laughs> okay. I, I strolled in wearing <laughs> sneakers and shorts and a t-shirt. And at the same time, there were two other dudes that walked into the store with me, and I kind of teased. I looked at these guys, one of them wearing shorts and flip-flops, another guy wearing exercise gear, and I looked at these two guys. I said, what, did you get the memo? Yeah. <laughs> they looked at me like I was nuts, and we all went in. thing on their floor to put on to go out in public is what it Yeah. Was. So, um, you okay, know, so, go so Walmart, wife Heather and I night. have been working out, right? So that's why. We finished the, uh, the evening workout, and, and then I went to the store to pick up uh, a whole host of stuff. Good job, by the way. Hey, thanks. So anyway, we're out there and I'm getting nine volt batteries and I happen to be strolling through to pick up some stuff for uh, lunches for the kids. Right. And there's they have this section of like prepper food. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's all, all dried. The, the freeze dried stuff yeah. that's shelf stable for oh, 25 yeah. years or whatever. Oh, yeah. It's like it's, a big old gallon of dried strawberries. Well, right now it's a big old empty shelves like the whole place is cleared out. And I, my eyes are rolling going really like do is that what we think is going down here is that this is the end of the world i know i actually ran into my pastor today at uh, costco because i'm getting my tires rotated and he was there and i was talking to him for a minute and we were kind of talking about the coronavirus and you know the numbers we were talking about numbers right what a surprise and uh i said man i said if if, if the world's really going that far down a i know where i'm going but i'm just gonna start drinking with my shotgun in my lap because oh uh, that's the end be. of the world trade right if you think the market's <laughs> never coming back you should be buying guns and whiskey i'm just saying he was laughing at me hysterically he's like you're just gonna start drinking i'm like well if everybody's gonna die anyway i might as well go out with a party like yeah, there you let's go let's just do it anesthetic so <laughs> he that was hilarious he was like okay i know where you're at i was like i'm sorry i realize it's my pastor but let's just be honest there you go so anyhow the the markets suffice it to say have sort of jumped the shark in terms of rational behavior wait we have a dead cat bounce and now we're jumping a shark yeah okay yeah sharknado uh there's <laughs> no, a lot of baby shark do, no. do, do, do. uh don't, so just don't. you get the idea here the, the, it all started with the dead cat bounce, right? And the dead cat bounce is this idea. And there's a, there's some real rationale behind what creates this, right? Okay, so hold on. A dead cat bounce is a temporary recovery in stock prices after a steep decline, 
often resulting from the purchase of securities that have been sold short. Correct. And so, that's what I was going to give you the mechanics behind what's happening. Here. Right. Let's, okay. So that's the definition. Yes. Explain how you would short sale security. Right. So short sale is if, if you think something is going to drop in value, you can sell it before you purchase it. I know that sounds crazy, but what? that's- What? Yeah. She's doing it again. Uh, I'm the, just trying the to help you guys purpose, out as listeners. So there's something called margin accounts. Margin is when you can use borrowed money in order to do things with investments. If you want to leverage your investment, hey, I have $100 in my pocket, but with a margin account, I can buy more than $100 because I can use borrowed money. And if I'm paying interest at 5%, but I can make 20%, it's worth it, right? Right. Because I'm going to profit more than my expense right. to attain the profits. So that's what we would call an arbitrage. The point of a margin account is often just to facilitate transactions because there are some rules about how quickly things can close and settle and how cash gets exchanged. You know, you don't just sell a stock and instantly put the cash in your bank account, typically. Right. It, there's usually a settlement period of time where the person that bought or sold has to wait for everything to clear before collecting their money. And it's usually three trading days, sometimes less, depending on what you're dealing with. Right. But if that's the case and you want to buy or sell something and you've sold something and you have to wait three days to get access to the capital, then a margin account can facilitate access to capital as well. But it, it does many things. And one of them is it allows you to short stocks. So if you're shorting something, it means I am selling it before I buy it. I give this example all the time to give it real life context. If you walk into a car dealership and you want to buy a shiny new red car and all they have is blue cars on the lot, they'll still sell you a red car, right? The dealership says, no problem. We got one. It's uh, at this other store. So let's go ahead and get the paperwork done and we'll bring it in for you. They sold a car they didn't own. Right. Knowing that they could go pick it up for a lower price from that other location, bring it to you and still make a profit on that deal. Right. So they, in effect, sold short the vehicle that they did not have in their own inventory by borrowing somebody else's. Right. And then they repatriated the funds once the transaction was done and settled up on everybody and made the difference in the spread. They made their profits. Right. You can do that with stocks through margin accounts. So let's say that we had this period last week where everything was collapsing and a bunch of people got savvy and decided to short the market. They need to cover that short, meaning they have to buy it back in order to get out of the position. So you have a whole bunch of lemmings jumping off a cliff, <laughs> and then you've got a handful of them that have to run the opposite direction in order to get out of their position, and the lemmings that were jumping off the cliff all turn and start following with them. It, in effect, it is about a supply and demand imbalance. Right. If everybody is selling at the same time. And nobody's buying. And there's no buyers, then or the price goes buyers, down. Or not enough buyers, right? If you have 100 for sale and two buyers. Right. Then you've got a, a market dislocation. Right. And then when people start to cover their short positions, that creates more buyers. And that's sort of what we saw Monday was we saw a bunch of people show up to buy this market. Well, they weren't interested in being in the market long term. They were interested to... in taking their short positions off and limiting their additional risk should the market stop declining. Right. Well, thus the dead cat bounce is this sort of mechanical short covering rally that happens. And then afterwards, as market makers reposition their inventory and the supply demand balance shifts again, the market did what it did today, which was Federal Reserve comes out, says, hey, we're going to lower rates. 
They announced it early. They didn't wait until their scheduled meeting. They waited until the markets were open, and they came out and said, we're going to do this. Everybody's and everybody like, everybody interprets that as a panic moment. And we had an up market this morning, and then we finished down again. Jeez. So, well, it doesn't signal confidence when you have to cut Lower interest rates. rates, yeah. And some industries it helps, and some industries it hurts, right? It helps... The borrowers. The borrowers. So like home Yeah, financing. you're going out so to get- So people yeah. wanting to get a mortgage, hey, now get it might now. be prime time. Right. But the banks, they just had their net interest margin Cut. compressed. Yeah. So now they're not making as much yeah. on the same so, loan. So a bunch of financial companies really took it on the chin today. So we're not going to talk this whole show about what's driving this market. We're going to keep it pretty simple. And let's just, for the- sake of argument, let's all make a couple of assumptions. So you're out there listening with me. Let's just play the game that the markets aren't super rational right now. Or if they are, they're moving for specific reasons. Could be professional money managers that have had lots of uh, lots of growth in their strategies and they wanted to reposition assets. And it was a good time to do it because when the markets are down and everything's ugly, it's a good place to hide when you need to do taxable event exchanges in your fund, you can say, oh, well, during that period of time. So they can take gains off the table and reposition in other assets. So that may be part of it. Certainly, there is some conjecture about the economic impacts of consumer behavior in light of a potential, I know I use the word, but not not to use it to scare you, but they're going to call it a pandemic. Okay. And we talked last week about, look, the, the statistics are still really early to, to declare that this is the you know pandemonium into the world uh, if you're immune compromised immunocompromised you don't want to get this you don't want to get a flu or a cold either but this one so far corona covid19 seems to be picking on Why folks over 70 I know so no, we're no longer telling it calling it the coronavirus well we're doing because there's COVID? other coronavirus it turns out this is not a new thing coronavirus has been running around kind of like influenza there's different strains the strain 19 is the one that we're concerned about. Got it. So, look, we're long on this segment, yep. right? And that's my my cute way of letting our engineers know we're going to grab a break. When we come back, we don't need to talk about why is the market doing this. We need to talk about what should we be doing in As response. Investors. Right? Yeah. So we'll cover that when we come back. Stick around. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I know. I'm not even in the mood to sing a jingle. It's okay. <laughs> it sings it in my head, though. Yep. And if you were just joining us, I remind you, we've got this thing podcasted. So if you want to get the backdrop, that's how you do it. Uh, littlejohnfs.com, and it's under the educate tab i Correct. believe yep. and we and mm-hmm. we actually have a whole history of these things they go back a ways 2014 15 15 15 i think 15 16 somewhere around there it's a lot it's, it, it's 
it goes back. It's a lot. It turns out we've been doing this for a while. At some point, we should figure out how many shows because that would be interesting. I haven't figured out. Do you think we've, we've yeah, we've done more than 100 shows now. Yeah, because we've we done, done it for over two years. So we've we done, done over 200 than, shows. I say, well, has it been more than 200 is the it's question. probably close to 250. Wow. I That's know. That's a lot of radio shows. I know. Uh, so. I kind of should go back and listen to some of them from like 16 and see. Although, Where, in the beginning, David was either monologuing. <laughs> or Kyle-logging. Or Kyle-logging. <laughs> Kyle was his co-host. So, little different concept for the show and it's young birth of it, but right. it's so still it's, good. It's evolved. And so, here we are today and... We, we, we've given us the backdrop that we know the markets are messy right now, right? And and I'm trying to remain calm about this one, but I will assure you all that I have the same emotions that you do, right? It, when I think about what's going on and should we sell or not, and so we're going to talk a little bit about how we are approaching this problem. And I'm going to now some disclosure, okay? First off, what I'm about to discuss is a process that we utilize within our financial services firm. So we have an advisory firm. That means we are providing advice. But what I'm about to discuss should not be construed as personal advice. Right. Okay? And we do this because there are lots of rules around how the investment landscape operates. And one of them uh, is really that I can't provide quality advice to you without knowing more about your circumstance. So this is not advice. This is just commentary on a process that we use. It's also, I want to explain that there are lots of different processes. And just because this is what we use doesn't mean we've cornered the market on genius. We like it for a reason. That's why we do it, right? So you would expect that. But there are lots of different opinions and there's lots of different research about what one should or shouldn't do as far as investments go. We are not a purely passive investment shop. No. That's that's very typical in these days. When you say passive, what do you mean? Well, passive investment shops like are buy and hold. They're they're pretty much buy and hold or if they are doing any kind of quote unquote management, it is through rebalancing to whatever their strategic objective is, which is a fancy way of saying, hey, we chose to put a certain percentage into different categories in the market. And if the market performance makes those percentages start to shift because one area of the market outperforms another, from time to time, we will sell off our winners to buy the losers and get back to the original construct that we designed. And by the way, you did hear him correctly. Sell the winners to buy the losers, which people yes. would be like, why do you want to buy losers? And why do you want to sell the winners if yeah. they're winning? Because it you, you make money by taking your profits and buying things on sale. There you go. So it's not really buying the losers, but it's... it's well, but it is buying the underperformers right. with the expectation that they're going Assets to eventually rotate perform. around in favor, and so what is out of favor now will later be in favor, and what's in favor now will not stay there forever. Right. So it's a that is a fairly passive strategy. There's some management. If it was purely passive, you would never make adjustments at all. And then the other thing is that a lot of people are using indexing strategies, which an index is a form of rule-based investing, which is something that we're big fans of at our office. Right. We're into rule-based investing. We just believe in slightly more active and tactical rules. Right. Okay. So if you were going to buy an index like the S&P 500, if the S&P 500 is at 3,000 today, 
then you would pay $3,000 a share. Well, if you were buying it in exact ratios, it doesn't really work, work that, that way. way but because, for example purposes. Yeah, the, the idea is that you're going to buy a fund or an, ex, an exchange-traded fund or some unit package that resembles all of the underlying holdings of the S&P 500 in the same ratio as the actual index. You will do it for as low a cost as possible in terms of the expenses to operate that fund. And then you're fairly passive from that point forward. And what you're really doing is saying, let me get as many expenses out of the equation as possible. You don't want you want to trim the fat, right? Get rid of the dead weight, right. whatever you want to call it. But you want it to be very, very efficient. And this has been historically a pretty good strategy long term because the S&P 500, it turns out, is not really passive. It is programmatic, meaning... Big, you keep using big words. Well, let's think about what that means. It's a program or a set of rules. Right. So if it's a rule-based index, what it says is, here's the criteria that we measure for the top 500 stocks. If a stock stops being in that criteria, we kick it out and put the new one in. There you go. So there is turnover in an index. They do change as the underlying assets change with time. So they are not fully passive. But with time, not like daily. Correct. And they have regularly scheduled times that they rebalance and reorganize their indexes. So if something gets kicked out, then it happens at a specified interval. And then all of the various index, indexing, Shit, all the they all have to go make the change, right? Right. So, and just like we talked about earlier in the show, that can create temporary supply and demand imbalances because of the demand by funds to purchase or eliminate positions in an index. So it is not a completely it's not a perfect system. inactive strategy, right. right? It's just a passive strategy based on rules without a lot of expenses to deal with. So we like rules, okay? At, at Little John Financial, we like rules. And the reason we like them is because I don't know about you, but sometimes, even though my rational brain says, think it through, look at the numbers, do the analysis, rah, 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 the other side of my brain, as we tease the lizard brain, goes, oh my gosh, right? It's so easy emotionally to get caught up in the hype. Yeah. Like, so easy. And it's, you know, it's one thing when one person's like, oh my gosh, did you hear? But when 10 people are in your ear, like every call after call after call is like, oh my gosh, did you hear? Right. All of a sudden you can start going, yeah, I know. And then you find yourself getting kind of wrapped around the axle, not on purpose, but it yeah. just, it's not, I mean, we're human, right? And, like and emotion's part of it. We've been fortunate. We haven't had a ton of clients call saying, oh no, uh, Actually, the we've had a little bunch bit of, of clients. Opposite. I'm teasing to people saying, look, go check your sofa. Right. Go, go check, check the uh, go check the cookie <laughs> jar, because uh, if you're looking around, things things be on sale. OK, now that's not a statement that this is the bottom of this market. They may get on better sale. But compared to a week ago, things be on sale. Well, and compared to a year from now. Right. right? There's I a, mean, there's it's... we don't know the future. That's we always have to be careful. You know, there's these little disclaimers you throw out. But find me a 20 year period where betting against the U.S. economy worked. Right. Right, I can find one ten-year period in history, and if you held it for eleven years, then it worked again, right. and that was the period from nineteen ninety-nine, so March of ninety-nine to March of two thousand nine. Yeah, and ninety-nine was really high, and then in two thousand everything collapsed, and then we had Y two K, and then in two thousand eight everything had collapsed and it had bottomed out, and the bottom of the market was March 9th of two thousand nine. 
And then it went on to have like a 46% return from that there. That was crazy. It just like so, rallied like crazy. Right. So if you didn't went, jump out of the it, ship on the way down. It went bananas. So if you you'd fine. have been able to just hold your breath just a little longer. So your statistics and your, your back test, which we know past performance doesn't guarantee the future. Right. But nevertheless, it has been a pretty solid outcome for nearly everybody that's invested that way. So it's interesting what we choose to feel as expendable and what we don't. And and where I'm kind of going with this is, you know, we start we're talking about the stock market and we're talking about investment accounts and stuff and and there are people that'll be like, oh the coronavirus, okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and get out of the market right now. But I don't really see people going, oh the coronavirus, let me go sell my house right now. I'm gonna become a renter because I'm worried that the housing market's gonna go down. True. Even though it can be softer and it could fluctuate due to the virus too as well because things are correlated. They're not causation necessarily, but correlated. But I, I mean, am I wrong about that? Like, I just don't see people going, oh, I need to go sell my house next week because the coronavirus is going to affect it. And it's like, well, no. It's a nobody long... I know because we're still got to be still gotta live somewhere. It, but, it's, but it's a long, but you know, when you buy real estate, you usually look at it as a long-term investment unless if you had that objective different in mind. And yet so many people come in to invest and they see it as a long-term objective until the market goes crazy. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, should I just pull everything out right now? And it's right. like, why well, did you change your objective out of fear? It's, I think people do that more than they used to because here's the funny thing. Now that Zillow came out and you can get sort of these drive-by estimates of your house whenever oh, you want. And yeah. they'll even send you emails saying, oh, the house is now worth this or that or the other. Yeah. And so people get a little bit more anxiety about the housing market than they used to because there's more readily available information. information. I mean, I, I'd say as a society, we're on information overload constantly, sure. right? Like every, sure. like you said, it, the amount of impressions that we get in front of our eyeballs every day is magnified compared to what it was, even just 10 years ago. Yeah, we continue to get more and more. The good news is, since we have the smartest clients, of course, right, that we have not had a ton of calls because, by and large, they understand, and we've also communicated regularly. So, what? But if you happen to be terribly unfortunate enough to not yet be a client of ours, oh, har, har, I love har. that. So, what should you consider? And I want to talk about a few rules here. And the first one is you really need to set your emotions aside, okay? Now, I don't know what it takes for you to have that Zen moment, but I'm gonna give you a couple of shortcuts for maybe how you can analyze this. Okay. So you're gonna look at this market and you think, how, how do I navigate this so that I can maybe put my emotions in check? And I wanna talk to you a little bit about some strategies that okay. you can use to manage the risk associated with the stock market and what you might consider. Okay. And we got some other stuff too, but they're telling me exactly. They're yeah. going to gonna play the music. So now you got to wait till we come back. If you're interested in knowing what are some of these risk reduction strategies that you might consider and rules to follow that when we come back, this is David Littlejohn and Katie Shuck. And you got true wealth on news radio, 1240 KQEN.
This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. You know, I'm just going to take it as we can go again. Sometimes it feels like there's little int- like intros in the music, and it's like, all right, you know what, we're just going to jump right into it. So welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Oh, see, you're all fired up today, and I'm kind of like, ugh, I'm trying to it's, like, I, bounce the energy back in. It's my favorite time of the week. I love the show. I love getting to communicate with our listeners and getting to share some stuff. And today, I feel like this next segment is one of the more important things that we could share and I just can't help but if you if you get on social media and you're there's really a scare. What's really fascinating and perhaps the most concerning to me is that uh, it seems like our medical community is the ones that are the most concerned right now about this. And so I take that not with a grain of salt, but actually I take that quite seriously. It's still the statistics don't play out that the mortality rate is super dangerous. But what it seems like is this thing picks on older folks. Right, so if you're 70 plus, and then then so we said like immunocompromised or which yeah, it's usually the very old and the very young, but apparently the sub age nine year old population weathers this storm pretty well so far. Really? Yeah, yeah. So oftentimes, you know, we can we're concerned for infants and so forth, but apparently, and I'm I'm speaking. This is sort of anecdotally, but I happen to be speaking to a pediatrician this morning, and this came out in the conversation that thus far it looks like it's pretty low. There are some other concerns, but I am not going to fuel the panic as a concept here. I'm just I'm way too grounded in what's going on here. I have tremendous faith in. Uh, I'm not going to call it the the medical cost system, I think that's really wrecked. But our medical providers, I think we've got really good practitioners. I think Western hygiene is very good. And as people become aware and we start training on our own behaviors, we can get a handle on this thing. Right. right? So it's not like we need to shut down all activity in the country. What we need to do is spend a lot more time washing our hands and not train, you know, not touching stuff and then touching mucous membranes where you can you get sick. Uh, so that in and of itself would go a long way. And then just good behaviors to to manage this thing are what we need to talk about. That's right. that's where we need to start with. We don't need to be terrified that there's a boogeyman out there that's just lurking and somehow going to turn your lungs inside out and ring them. I'm more concerned about the supply chain, I think, than, the, than contracting the actual virus, right? Like we've talked about ships going in and out of the country or kind of putting a squash on that for... Um, a temporary thing because of the virus. And so it's more about what we buy from other countries, specifically China, um, as far as like, I heard like rubber gloves, something that people are short on or, you know, like different things that we're used to getting from other countries that now we're like, hmm, where are we going to get a new supply from? So yeah, these so more of those kind of weird things that you just don't think about because they're usually just there. When people are buying up all the toilet paper in the store... <laughs> I am just trying to figure out what the logic or the rationale is, and I don't see it. Again, I think that we're playing this thing. If if the extreme on this thing is a 3% mortality rate, that is significantly higher than the flu. My kung fu is strong. Okay, so so it's 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 not good. But right now, we're taking kind of the worst-case scenarios because all the people that have— the folks that don't even know they get it don't even report right now. So right. we're we're getting the reports of the people that we have figured out how to report on. 
and they tend to be the ones that, again, are the, the, the immune immunocompromised are the ones that are figuring out they have it because they get symptoms and they go get checked. And, you know, there are a bunch of people that don't manifest serious enough symptoms to even bother. And so our numbers are pretty shaky right now. And also, we're, we're, just, we're just scaring each other. And I'm, I'm not part of that. I'm just much more rational that even if you get this, your odds are really, really good that you're going to weather the storm. Right. So I'm not suggesting we should try to get it. I'm just saying I, the, the mortality statistically is still, you know, everybody's going, well, there's a 3% mortality rate, so, which means there's a 97% non-mortality rate. That's really high. If we had 97% odds in the investment world, people would be clicking their heels, They'd be lining right. up. If you had right. 97% odds in the casino, casinos would be going under, right? <laughs> they, they couldn't keep up. <laughs> yeah, we'd have a party bus on the way down there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so... Picking up all of our friends. So we, we just need to keep the numbers in perspective here. Well, and David, refresh our listeners about statistics. Oh, yeah. There's, just so we're clear, there's three kinds of lies in this world, right? Lies, damned lies. And statistics, you, know, you can you can drive a narrative with statistics because you can tell the story that you want to tell. So I just am really cautious that we don't want to be out there creating a self fulfilling prophecy and pandering to paranoia. Because what it does is it gets people scared, and you shift into a fight or flight response system. Emotional decisions are not grounded in logic. They're grounded in emotion, and that's the fight or flight. Remember, that's your sacrificing accuracy And we talked about that before on the show, too, yeah. that like if you turn on your emotion, you turn off your logic center. Yeah. So, so try not to turn off your logic center. Well, but let's say you're emotionally compromised. What can you do that will help? Um, gut check and talk to a friend that's not emotionally compromised. Okay, there's what? that. So what can you do? Because so I'm rules. trying to think of things. Rules. Okay. Rules. Okay, we're going to get back to... These are, here's some of the rules that we follow at Little John Financial. Okay, rule number okay. one. So I'm not going to number them because I don't know if we have the rule. I mean, we have some rules internally. You yeah. know, things rule like one. don't say <laughs> anything. that'll get you sued. Right? <laughs> we, have, we have funny <laughs> rules. Like, yeah, don't say something that gets you sued, which means that one of the rules is don't guess. Because if you're wrong, it can get you sued. Right. And so you never guess. You, you say, keep. I will get the information and I will get it accurate. Right. So we're not out there making promises we can't keep. And we're not making a promise somebody else has to keep for us. Right. But those are business Those are different rules. rules. What? So what kind of rules can you keep if you know that you're emotionally compromised? So investor rules. First, let's have let's let's talk, before we get to rules, let's talk about how can you analyze whether or not you should be buying or selling? Ooh, that's a good one. Yep. How, so, how should I? How can I analyze whether I should be buying or selling? Right. Pretend you're sitting in cash. Okay. Start with that. You don't own it right now. Okay. So okay, I walked the, into Little John, opened an account, and gave you a hundred grand in cash, and said, "I'm ready." Yeah. Okay. So the so first. How do I know when to get in? The first rule is right. The first is don't talk about Fight Club. No. The the <laughs> the first really rule <laughs> is. That if you treat it like you don't already own it, then you you're you're going a long way toward eliminating something that clouds investors' judgment regularly. We call it anchoring bias. Oh, I know this one. Okay. Okay, I'll explain it then. So anchoring bias. Okay, so say you bought object A for ten dollars, right? And then mm -hmm. it went up to twelve dollars, and you're like, woohoo, I made money. And then it went down to eight dollars. And you're going, well, I, I should sell it because it's losing. But now I don't want to sell it for less than I bought it for. 
So I'll hold on to it until it gets back to $10. And then it gets back to $10 and you're like, but now it's making money and it's going in the right direction. So I should just keep holding it. Well, you've explained the whole process of the problem well. <laughs> Anchoring bias itself is when it's setting a, a price in your mind and then hanging on to that price as your reference point for something's value. Right. And this happens routinely with age. So my kids think that it's normal for a Snickers bar to be $1.25. Right. And I look at that and go, that's ridiculous. That should be 40 cents. And my parents would say, no, that's you're ridiculous. nuts. It should be like 10 cents. <laughs> right? So we all have this point that we walked in where when I we was a saw... Kid. A price point, and that sort of is our benchmark for what things cost. Right. Now, you know, oftentimes it's funny what we change on because I will see folks that will then go out and buy a hundred thousand dollar truck and think, well, you know, I got a good deal, and I just shrug my shoulders and go, "What? Wow!" Because <laughs> you couldn't buy a hundred thousand dollar truck forty years ago; they didn't exist. So that's <laughs> funny that you say that because again, I was at Costco today, and of course they show cars that you can buy through their system, right? Now, I had a brand new Mustang in high school. I helped pay for it, but I had a brand new Mustang, and I remember what my parents paid for it. And I looked at the sticker just to see what they were going for. Now, this one's fully loaded. Mine wasn't, and I understand that. But it was like $40,000, right? And in my head, the anchor was under twenty, And I'm like, I'm not paying double for that what I used to what I used to pay. But it was Anchoring bias. 25 years ago. Correct, correct. So, yeah, so, there it is. The trick with your investments is if you would you buy it today, right? If you didn't have it already and you know what you know right now and you were going to look, would you go buy it? And if, and if the answer is no, then you've got a problem. And if the answer is yes, then you say, okay, well, now we've got some decisions to make here. But did I just move my anchor? No. You did not just move your anchor. What you're doing is you're trying to look at things with a fresh set of eyes and use the data that you know now. Ah. Because we drag with us all of our prior decisions. And the result is what you just described. Is if, if there's profits, everybody feels good. But if there's losses, they want to hang on until the profits Come recover. Back. And you make things sale-proof, right? You end up emotionally binding yourself to a holding and you're no longer investing. You're just, you know, you're just going to hang on come hell or high water. Right. So that's the first thing is how are you analyzing? The second thing is a lot of people don't look at price targets or loss prevention thresholds. Now, loss prevention thresholds, I will tell you openly on air here, I am not a fan of mechanical stop losses. Meaning that a lot of people will say, hey, especially with stocks, uh, mutual funds don't work this way, but with stocks or exchange-traded funds, things that trade on an exchange, you can say, if the price falls below this threshold, sell it. And you can do it one of two ways. You can make it a sell limit, meaning that I will specify the price that I will not sell it if it goes lower than this. Or you could do a just a sell stop, which is if the price is crossed at that point, Enter a market order to get me out as soon as possible at right. whatever the next price is. So I bought it for 100 I said I didn't want to lose more than 20 So if it hits 80 just just sell it. Just get rid of Even it. Even if I have to sell it for 50 is the next offering price, though, is the problem. So you uh, have a huge price like vacuum. Okay. So I don't like those. I like alerts. Hey, if we hit this, give me an alert so that I can then go do analysis and make a decision. But if you just put in a mechanical order, 
the markets are very good at fishing for people that have set mechanical orders, and it's amazing how they tend to get the price to just down to the part where they can kick you out of the market right in time for the market to reverse from there and go back up. And there are some mechanical things that are going on there that large players are doing in order to sort of test the markets, and they they can see data that you don't necessarily see that drives those things. So we're not going to discuss how, just know that that's what happens, so I don't like it. But the price target's a big one. Have you made as much money as you expected? And should you be selling off a part of your winner at some point? And so people don't really manage it, right? They just kind of say, well, I'll just buy it and hang on to it forever, Aww. right? And so if you don't have any expectation, then it's like driving with no destination. You'll get there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Somehow. Right. So those are a couple of things. First is we've got to look at anchoring bias. And then the second one is we need to look at what are our price targets. Now, there are a couple more, and I we're, I promise we'll really talk about these. We're going to do our best to stay on task, but we do have to take our last break. So when you come back, just a handful more rules that I think can make you more disciplined as, as an investor and help you sort of Take the emotions, set them on the shelf, and hopefully improve those decisions. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. I'm Katie Shuck. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the final leg, right? The final leg of the True Wealth Show today. And if you are just joining us, remember there is a podcast. You can go to littlejohnfs.com, it'll be posted tomorrow. And you can check it out on iTunes and Blueberry. And it's, uh, you could tell your friends and, you know, when you're really need a good pick me up, uh, you know, you should probably exercise, but you could listen to this show while, <laughs> while you exercise. Exercising. There you go. Get the endorphins going, too. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're talking about the rules today. What should you do as an investor right now with everybody kind of panicking? Yeah. So and, and the context is rules when people when you are emotionally compromised as an investor and some of these things are strategies. And the trick is to define them in advance. Okay, so we talked about do you have a price target and a and a, a loss target in advance where you know you're making decisions not based on what's happening, but you've set the rules of engagement. Okay, that's a biggie. Mm-hmm. We've talked about anchoring bias and being aware that we oftentimes will bring the history of an investment with us and we're making decisions on what we've known for a long time, but we're not analyzing it as if it was a fresh look. And so we really need to be aware of that and say, okay, I need a fresh look at this I've stock. I've done that in the past. Okay. And we said, no, it's been great. So that means it's always going to be great. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh. We need to look at it in today's news. And we look at it and say, would I buy it today knowing what I know if I didn't already own it? Right. Would I still own it today? So that's a really good way to do this. There are a couple other things that uh, you ought to consider. One Investing is not an all-or-nothing game. 
What? Are you sure? I am sure. What does it, that mean? It is possible that you could sell some of your investment. If you are really genuinely concerned, there's nothing that says you must sell everything. You can sell some. If the market recovers, you will have lost an opportunity. But if the market declines, you will have insulated yourself partially from additional decline. Now, the math is really fun on this one. If you sell half of your investment and then the stock market goes down by 50%, you've cut your losses in half. Nice. Right? You've and you limited your go because, buy them. because you've only got 50% still invested. So if you lose half of the half, you lost 25% of the whole. Ah, even better. All I right. Like that better. And then if you, you know, and if the market goes up by 50%, you will have still been half of your investments were still invested, so you'll have made a 25% return on uh, not well yeah uh -uh. the math doesn't work out quite so you know it it, it costs you more to lose than it does to win well it's uh, it's not that it costs you more than it loses to win what happens is when you lose it takes more to climb out of the hole percentage wise than it took to fall into the hole right you know if you lose 25% then you have now instead of $100 you have 75 well you need to make Twenty-five dollars back. Well, twenty-five is thirty-three percent. Right. So it's not. It's so not you, the same if you lose twenty-five, you need thirty-three to get back. So it's harder to climb out. So right. it is okay to to look at your investments as not an all or nothing. Right. The other thing is you need to look at how you are allocated. It is a really good time to assess your risk right now. If you are freaking out then you're being tested because what we're experiencing is beyond a typical, well, markets usually pull back, just not this aggressively. Right. And they, they often pull back. And so knowing that the typical downside is important, but if you find that all of a sudden this is so much that it's shaken your confidence, it may be that you are in the wrong strategy. You know, maybe you are taking too much risk. So I encourage people, when you take a risk assessment, trying to create an emotional situation is a, a good idea in my opinion because that's actually how you respond in real life you know it's easy to say oh well everything's going up i can be a mathematician in all business i'm i am spock mr logic on the upside <laughs> you nobody freaks out when you're making too much money and by the Freak way, out you, on the other side. If you know that you're controlled by your emotions, then find somebody that can be your logic accountability partner, right? That's where an investment advisor is so yeah. crucial. This is the bottom line. When you're emotionally compromised, the benefit of working with a professional is typically there is some professional detachment as well. And that comes from familiarity and, for lack of a better term, it's some of it's just anesthesia. You are around it so much that you are somewhat numbed to what's going on. We see the information all the time. It doesn't make us insensitive. Like I said, we're still emotional. However, our response to the emotion is different because we have clinical processes all over the place that we use. We're the we firefighters. Have, we yeah. run into the burning building. We've yeah, been trained Yeah, because you're for trained it. for it. So you have a different response. Even though you have the emotions, your training makes you do different things. Right. And by and large, while it is, let's call it what it is, it's cheaper to invest on your own than using a professional. However, many people experience superior results, studies have shown, because professionals help you avoid self-inflicted wounds. Ah, there you go. And here we are in this environment where markets are Fragile. pretty, pretty sh you know, they're shaky Shaking. right now. And as a result, uh, now is not the time to make uh, emotionally compromised decisions, okay? Uh, will the market keep going down? I don't know. Will it go up? Hopefully. I don't know, but I think <laughs> at some point 
it will go up again because I'm still betting on America. Uh, anyway, I hear the music, so I guess we're out of time. Katie, if they want to reach us, if you need somebody in your life that can help you as your advisor, how do they do it? 541-375-0898. All right. You can also get us at uh, info at littlejohnfs.com or littlejohnfs.com at the website. Uh, we're out of time for now. So until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.